Hey there, Quajo here. And if you haven't heard my voice, I'm the new host of the Art of Online Business. Quick update on my new offer. I did not expect the initial launch spots to sell out so fast. I'm talking about Facebook ad setup to success, which is one-on-one -on -one Facebook ads coaching for the driven course creator from me, three Zoom calls within a month and unlimited support in between so that you can run your lead generation campaigns, your launch campaigns, your SLO, self-liquidating offer funnels, exactly like I would, getting all my tips and tricks and strategies plus just unlimited support inside of Slack or Voxer or one lady's even doing it from inside of Messenger with screen recordings, Loom recordings, this sort of thing, questions. This is what I'm doing, but all those limited spots that at the initial launch price, they are gone. And I just wanted to explain that out of integrity to the people who took those first spots, um, the price has gone up and there are one, there's one spot maybe two if I do some scheduling jujitsu for May, otherwise we're booking into June. You can click on the link in the description below to find out more, or you can go to theartofonlinebusiness.com forward slash call if you need that kind of one-on-one -on -one Facebook help. All right, back to the episode. With the exception of one episode that I did in early 2018, which was about GDPR. We remember GDPR, right? <laughs> Back in May of 2018. We haven't really covered any legal topics here on the podcast. Well, that's about to change today, my friends, because I'm joined by Harvard Law attorney, Bobby Klink. Bobby's actually a student of mine, and he describes himself as not your typical lawyer. Like I said, he's got a law degree from Harvard, and he now considers himself an entrepreneur first. He's been in the online space now for about five years, beginning by using online marketing to build his own law firm. And now he focuses on helping other online entrepreneurs spot potential legal issues in their own businesses. And so today, Bobby and I talk about legal stuff. We talk about the legal things that most online entrepreneurs don't think about. I know that I didn't for the first few years of my business, and that was a mistake. But this is something that you do need to be thinking about and aware of as an online business owner. Let's jump into it. What do you get when you combine simplified digital marketing, proven ROI strategies, and Metallica blasting from his headphones? You get Rick Moore ready, of course. So strap in, grab your bulletproof coffee, and get ready, because this is the art of pay traffic. Here's Rick. All right, you made it to the episode. <laughs> you didn't hit stop after you heard this was a uh, today's episode about legal stuff for online entrepreneurs. What's up, my friends? Welcome back to the podcast. Rick Mulready here. Thank you so much for coming to hang out with me today. I really appreciate that. I'm here to help online experts grow and scale your business so that you can reach and help more people so that you can amplify your impact. And when you do all those things, not only do you get to increase your revenue in your business, but you and your audience get to have better lives as a result. And that's what this is all about, right? Hey, if you've not already, please make sure to hit that subscribe button in your podcast app so you don't miss any of the two weekly episodes that I put out for you here on the show. And thank you so much in advance for subscribing. So as I mentioned, joining me today on the show, his name is Bobby Klink. He is a Harvard Law educated attorney who now is also an online entrepreneur who helps other online entrepreneurs 
get their legal protection in place quickly, easily, and affordably. We talk about the legal side of running a business. This is not something that gets talked about a whole lot, yet it's super important to at least educate yourself as your online business begins to grow. I know that outside of LLCing my business pretty early on, I did do that. Other than that, I didn't think about much from the, from the whole legal side of the business for far too long. And that's exactly why I asked Bobby to come on and share his legal expertise with you. So today we talk about the challenges that he has gone through in building his own online business, including his first failed online launch. He shares the first thing that you should do from a legal perspective as an online entrepreneur. If you've not done this that he gets into today, as soon as you finish listening to this episode, go do it, right? We talk about what things that you need to have on your website from a legal perspective to protect you and your business. We talk about what needs to be in writing in every online business. This one may surprise you. It did for me when I heard him share this. We talk about what not to do when it comes to a partnership. Bobby shares what the right to publicity is and why it's critical that we understand it in our business and protect ourselves. I was like, Bobby, what, what are you talking about? I've never heard this before. He breaks it down for you and shares why this is something that we need to understand and protect ourselves with that. And he also shares some free legal resources for everybody. So that and a whole lot more. Now, before we do go hang out with Bobby, if you are an online expert, AKA you're an online educator, you are a coach, you're a course creator, you're doing webinars, maybe you've got a membership program, et cetera, and you're looking to grow your email list by reaching more of your target audience and sell more of your programs or services in the process, right? And maybe you're overwhelmed when it comes to Facebook and Instagram ads, and you're frustrated that you are wasting so much time and money, you're not getting the results that you want then I want to invite you to my free webinar training called How to Create a Winning Facebook and Instagram Ads Campaign Without Wasting Time, Without Getting Overwhelmed or Breaking the Bank in the Process. And you can sign up for that free training at rickmulready.com forward slash training. During the webinar, you will learn my three-phase framework for getting awesome ROI in less time with your Facebook and Instagram ads. You'll also learn the three common mistakes that most people are making with their Facebook and Instagram ads and how you can avoid them and a whole lot more in that training. This is the system that we use in our business as do thousands of my students. So if you're tired of feeling overwhelmed and want to stop pulling your hair out, trying to create winning Facebook and Instagram ads, you want to get better results than you're getting, go to rickmulready.com forward slash training and sign up for my free Facebook and Instagram ads webinar. All right, my friends, let's go hang out with Bobby Klink. Bobby, welcome to the show. How are you, man? Good. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. I'm excited too, because uh, like I was just chatting with you before we hit record here, we've not covered any kind of legal topics here on the podcast. Well, we talked about uh, GDPR. GDPR. Yeah, we talked about GDPR, but that was very GDPR specific, right? I want to talk more about legal stuff, if you will, in general, when it comes to having an online business and the types of things that we don't normally think about, myself included. Yep, and yep. So we're going to go down some rabbit holes today, but this is a topic that I really wanted to, you know, start talking about here on the show because 
it's so important. Like this is stuff that we need to be thinking about whether we are, you know, an online business owner, whether we are managing ads for other, you know, we're a Facebook ads manager, whether regardless of what kind of business that we have, if we're doing business online, there's some things we need to be thinking about that we're probably not thinking about it from a legal perspective. So Yep. Yep. I think that's right. And you know, that's, that's what I try to do is just help people, you know, basically I want people to be able to spot issues and kind of say, ah, Hey, there's an issue. I need to think about that. I need to figure that out. I need to go, you know, whether it's go to the Googles or, you know, go deeper, at least, you know, be able to kind of know where you need to have your spidey sense come up. Yeah. Okay, cool. Because I'll often say, (laughs) I'll give advice and I'll say, I am not a lawyer. (laughs) I don't don't play one on the podcast here, but you are a lawyer. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you and, and, you know, what do you do now and how long you been doing all, uh, doing all this and all that good stuff? So I'm a lawyer, but I like to say I'm not really a lawyer. I I mean, I am, let me be clear, got a degree from Harvard law school, but I'm at this point, an online entrepreneur first. I've been in the online space. I guess I started dabbling like five years ago. But at that point I was trying to use online marketing to build my law firm was kind of the way I started because like a lot of people, I think this is true of you, Rick. I'm, I don't think of myself as an extrovert. So networking, not a lot of fun to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was trying to find a way to, to get business without networking early on. I literally got myself like HubSpot inbound marketing certified as a lawyer when I had a lot of time on my hands, but that's kind of how things started. But my old life as a lawyer, I was like the guy stands up in court, argues cases. That's what I was doing. Did it for about 15 years. I had the privilege for three years of being a federal prosecutor, standing up, getting to say every day, I'm Bobby Clink. Or actually, I said, I'm Robert Clink. I'm here on behalf of the United States of America, which is a pretty cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. But what I found was like, I kind of wasn't happy and I'm not sure why. So I was working with a life coach. This was probably like three years ago, I guess, two and a half, three years ago. And after we talked about life stuff and relationship stuff and all that, she asked me, do you like what you do for a living? And I kind of stammered and I said, no. And then she asked the next question, which was, okay, what are we gonna do about that? And so she then like pushed me to start going out and like, you know, doing things as a lawyer at that point, but things that I actually enjoyed more like advising people. The problem was for a lot of my career, I spent, you know, I only saw people after the ish had hit the fan mm-hmm. and I didn't really like, really like that. So I started doing more and more of helping people avoid the problems in the first place. So that's kind of how I transitioned. And then like the online entrepreneur bug just bit me. Seriously, I've got all the scars that most online entrepreneurs do. Like I had my first failed launch where I spent $10,000 on Facebook ads, got one sale and she got a refund after 29 days because I had a, you know, 30 day policy. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And again, so I did all that. And then really things, I started getting traction last year when I started actually doing the work you, you need to do, like understand your clients, listening, connecting all that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of came to prominence. It's funny. You mentioned the GDPR episode. I was on Amy Porterfield's podcast and she was actually mad at you because you got your episode out. I was, I was going to point that out. If you did not point that out, I was going to point that out. I was first. (laughs) Yeah. So you were first, uh, which kind of like chapter high and you had, I think the English lawyer, Suzanne Dibble on Suzanne who like when people are like from the UK and what like the stuff, like what I do, I say, go to her because she's in the UK. 
And so that was kind of the start. And so now what I do is for the last year, a little more than a year, year and a half now, I've been helping online entrepreneurs get their legal stuff in place. First, I was like trying to do a course, but now I give all my training away for free. I just charge for templates. And the, the newest thing I'm now venturing out kind of like you, you know, your Facebook ads guy, but you also help with strategy. I'm mm-hmm. kind of making that transition myself now to help online entrepreneurs kind of build the foundations and build their fan base so they can actually launch successfully. Gotcha. Gotcha. I love it. So I think that, you know, from, since you're serving this community, your expertise is sought after, right? Yep. Because you know the space, but also as a brand, as a personal brand for you, it's makes you more relatable to yep. online entrepreneurs because you are, you've gone through, like you said, you've gone through that, all the stuff, quote unquote, that, that we online entrepreneurs go through, like failed launch, 10, spend 10 grand on ads and have one sale and they, you know, refund out 29 days. And yep. so you know what it's like, you know what those <laughs> things are like and, yep. and you've done the stuff. So as you talk about from a legal perspective, you know, GDPR, Amy had you on her show and stuff like, and you know, I ribbed her about that when we were chatting about that last year, it was funny. You and I hadn't met yet. And I think yep. we met finally in person. I think we'd chatted maybe a little bit, but we met finally in person at Amy's event in November, August. I think. August. August, it was August, August last year. Yeah. yeah. And the last year was a blur. I, I, well, I had a baby. Yeah. So, so last August, and then, you know, this is such an important thing that like that just we as online entrepreneurs generally do not think about. So what are some of the big things from a legal perspective that we, now you talk about helping people before there's problems. Like how does that relate to us online entrepreneurs? Okay. So I like to kind of break it up into there's a couple of discrete things that we should talk about. One is generally you should set up some kind of entity some kind of corporation here in the U S it's almost always going to be an LLC. The purpose of that is under the law. When you do that, it's a separate person. And I like to give this example for my law firm. I have an LLC that is clink LLC. That is the entity that signed my lease. When I have, you know, when I had a physical space, now I have a virtual space, but especially when I was starting out, I had that entity sign the lease. So if my law firm had gone belly up and I had to go get a job somewhere, I could walk the lease and they couldn't sue Bobby clink. They could sue clink LLC, which would have had zero assets at that point. That's the only mm-hmm. reason I would walk the lease. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the first piece is to set up an entity to protect your, your personal assets assets. There's more advanced things that as you get further along, you might want to do some tax things that you can do with a legal entity, but that's, that's kind of, I want to say advanced. And that's like on the margins. It's about saving, you know, some percentages in in profits here and there, Mm -hmm. but that's the first piece. The next piece is website stuff. You got to have policies on your website. As you know, from the GDPR, you have to, you legally have to have a privacy policy. Plus you're in California. Everybody in California has to have a privacy policy. Plus anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you advertise on Facebook, I'm pretty sure you got to have a privacy policy that is shown and linked to on your landing page, or they won't let you advertise. So you've got to have that in place. Mm-hmm. That's just something that says, here's the information we collect. Here's why we collect it. Here's what we do with it. Here's who we share it with and some other, you know, random things like that. Mm-hmm. Then you should also have a terms of use and disclaimer. Those could be one document or two. I don't care which, but those are kind of the basic rules of the road for your website. It'll set out like if you have 
like smaller, cheaper products you're selling that you don't do a separate agreement for. It sets your refund policy for those things. It also sets limits on what people can do. And then it says you can't sue me because, and it's got a big long list of things they can't sue you for. So that's what something we all want. You can't sue me because. Now, again, I like to be a realist. For most of us, the chances that we're going to get sued for something on our website that we can avoid through a disclaimer aren't very high. And I tell people that, I mean, the legal stuff is really about peace of mind um, Mm -hmm. on this stuff, but you should do it. I mean, you should have those things in place because they're important. It's important to get in the practice of doing those things. And if you're a business owner, it's important to, you know, treat your business like a business, not a hobby. And so this is one of the things you have to do. Sure. But then the next piece, and this is the one that I stress and harp on the most, every agreement that's important to your business should be in writing period, full stop. I, you know, I don't care if it's a fancy writing or just, you know, something that you and the other person put on a piece of notebook paper. I don't care. Just put the central agreement down in writing is the base level. This is about protecting you. And so, you know, for your listeners who are ads managers, you need to have a standard agreement you use with all of your customers, you know, who you're uh, managing ads for that lays out, what services are you going to provide? What are you not going to do? For example, I know some ads managers provide copy. Some don't. You need to lay that out. People need to know, are you that you providing the copy or not? Just all of those things you need to lay out in that agreement. So it's very clear and you can't have a dispute. As I like to say, if an apple a day keeps the doctor away, an agreement a day keeps the lawyers away. And that's something we should all try to do because I don't like spending time with them. So I'm betting you don't either. <laughs> um, so that's the thing I harp on the most. Then there's the other issues like about copyright law that y'all need to understand. You can't just grab some picture you saw somewhere because you like it, but that's a little bit more involved, but you need to get a little bit of knowledge so that you know what you can and can't use of other people's information. So you mentioned like like grabbing an image or something like that. What are people grabbing from a a content (laughs) perspective? Because like I think about that and I'm like, the first thing I thought about is like Google images. Yep. Right. But yep. from a content perspective, what are people, <laughs> I'm asking this question because I don't, it generally doesn't come up for me. <laughs> I mean, I've had people rip off my courses for years yep. now from day one, people rip off my courses and I've had people reach out to me. Like I'm super grateful that they reach out to me, but it's like, well, there's not a whole lot you could do. You know right. what I mean? Like I'm flattered that they want to sell my, you know, whatever thousand dollar course for $47 or whatever. Great. There's not a whole lot I can do. And right. I, one of my students that just happened to like, they just, you know, they just, uh, or one of our new accelerator, uh, mastermind members actually was talking about, you know, they had their program completely ripped off. Yep. Well, it, it, that, yeah. I hear about that all the time. Like, I'll yeah. just be honest with you in groups I'm in and Facebook groups. That's always like, you can imagine in Amy's group about, you know, uh, digital course Academy group. Yeah. There was a lot of people worried about that. People are going to sure. rip my course off. Yep. And I say, first of all, I want to have that problem. I want to get to right. the point yeah, of yeah. ripping my course off. Right. <laughs> but more importantly, right. you're worried about the wrong thing. People who do that and sell your thousand dollar course for 47 bucks, mm-hmm. they are sleazy people. Um, yeah. They know they're doing things wrong. You're not going to stop them. If you manage to shut them down on one website, they're just going to put it on another one. So it's not going to do you any good to worry about it. More importantly, someone who would buy a thousand dollar course for $47 probably would never have bought it from you for nine ninety seven anyway. Yeah. So don't exactly. worry about that. Yep. I'm more worried about like, 
you know, you avoiding getting the classic cases, the Getty image letter where people have done exactly what you want. I should either they go onto Google images and they search something, or maybe they're just scrolling through something and they see an image they like. And so I prefer to it as the right click save as problem. Cause that's what we do on our mouse. Mm-hmm. People do that, grab an image and then use it. And especially with the more sophisticated images, image companies like Getty, which, you know, if listeners don't know what Getty is, it's one of the big licensing companies and they license images for like thousands of dollars. So if you do that, it's one of their images, they're going to find out, they're going to send you a letter, they're going to demand thousands of dollars and you're not going to have much of a response because you infringe their copyright. You can't use that image without permission. But there was actually a, there's kind of a more subtle example of it that you're less likely to get in trouble for from a legal perspective, but it's also wrong that Tyler McCall, who I know, you know, Mm -hmm. we talked about recently of people literally like just copying people's Instagram content, cutting off their, their handle and then posting it on their page. Mm-hmm. that's not okay. I mean, it's not okay, but it's also copyright infringement. So you're also doing something illegal by doing that, you know, but there are also subtle things. Like a lot of people don't realize, like technically if you screenshot somebody else's web page and use it in a course, you need to get permission first because they have the right to, con- you know, th- that's their copyrighted material. And so it's like little things like that, that you just need to think about anytime you're going to use someone else's content in mm-hmm. any way, shape or form, other than a very short quote, your mind should say, I need to think about copyright law and maybe I need to do some research to figure out whether this is okay or not. How does that differ from attribution? Because like what I'm thinking about, the, uh, the idea that just popped up, just as you just said that is, if I'm reading on my Kindle and just like some amazing quote or maybe a concept, somebody uh, and highlighted it, put it on my Instagram and I talk about it and I, I put an attribution to the author in the book, is that okay? okay so attributing it to someone does not save you. If it's a copyright infringement, but that's why I said quotes are generally okay. Mm -hmm. So let me back up. Sure. Copyright doesn't protect ideas. It protects the particular expression of an idea. So if it's a concept, you can talk about the same concept. I mean, we all talk about the same sets of concepts over and over again, and that's Mm -hmm. fine. There's no problem there. Quotes also are generally okay because there's a concept that we should be able to to use some small portions. What the line is, is not entirely clear. What I've done before is I refer people, I think like it was Wiley, one of the book publishers, I went to like their guide for authors and it says, I think it was Wiley, but one of them essentially says, if you're going to use a quote of more than 60 words, we want permission. Mm. meaning go get permission from whoever the quote is from. Now that's not a magic rule. And I don't want you to say, Oh, okay. So I can always use 59 words, but that gives you a sense. I mean, I have quotes on Instagram for, you know, other online entrepreneurs who've said things that are smart. And I'm like, Hey, this is a smart thing. And again, for the most part, when you do that, I mean, who's going to complain, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not going to complain if someone is quoting me right, on their right, right. because it's giving yeah. me credit. Sure. It's when you start using it wholesale that it becomes a bigger problem. Yeah. What about things on making claims? Okay. <laughs> I, I know this is something that you like to talk about because this is a big one, right? And, and, you know, look, like this is something that I didn't do in my webinars, for example, until about a year and a half ago. 
I mean, I'm embarrassed to say, because again, this is something I wasn't thinking about, but I would be putting case studies of my students in, in, in that. And, you know, with, with no disclaimer, like, look, like just because I'm talking about this doesn't, I'm not promising results yeah. you know, for you. And so just so you know, that's the kind of stuff you have in your disclaimer on your website. And then also like, if you have a course, you should have a course agreement that they click to say, I accept this when they buy. And it should have that in there too. That being said, yes, I mean, you should do that. And this is, it's kind of an amorphous area of law because it comes from the Federal Trade Commission and they have regulations. And basically it's supposed to be not deceptive is kind of what the standard is and you can't make specific claims and again i know you deal with this in the ad space like in facebook Mm -hmm. if you try to make any very specific claims they're going to ding you and and not let you make the ad Mm -hmm. what you generally should do and and it is funny uh, i was talking to you before we hit record that i was talking to ray edwards earlier today for his podcast and i saw him do what i thought was the best disclaimer ever in a webinar one time you know he's doing this thing he said look these results are not typical but I assume you don't want to be typical, do you? <laughs> Which I was like, well, that is a, I mean, that's a great way to spin it. But yeah, I mean, you should definitely do that. Um, you should put a disclaimer and you should obviously make clear, look, I can't promise you results. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I can promise to teach you a method that I know has worked. And again, like when you're doing case studies, the, the, the trick is to use case studies. So you're talking about this person actually did get these results. Mm-hmm. I can't promise you're going to get these results. I can't promise these results are typical. And again, I'm one of those people, I kind of feel like because the standard is, is it deceptive? Like in our space, let's be honest, Rick, I'm not going to put a case study for someone who's the middle of the road. I mean, (laughs) we're going to put a case study for the people who are the best and everybody knows that. Yeah. And so I think be careful. Don't make a promise. I will ensure that you do X. I mean, if you do that, you're going to be I mean, the problem is forget like the FTC coming after you. Then when people don't get those results, they're going to come after you and and they're going to say, look, you promised I was going to get these results and you just don't want to go there. Yeah. But yeah, generally put some kind of disclaimer to say that, you know, hey, these case studies are accurate. They're truthful, but I can't, I'm not guaranteeing you'll get the same results. Yeah. And what I I add just a a line onto that, something very similar to what you just said, Bobby, is I say, but I'm going to teach you the same exact thing that helped these people get them the the results that I'm showing you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's perfect marketing. This is one of those things where I've been very lucky because in my launches of my like templates, I mean, I have case studies, but they're not really result-based. So it's not, I haven't had to deal with this personally, but I know it's something a lot of people deal with. Yeah. Yeah. But you mentioned a, I took a note, a course agreement. Yeah. Talk about, talk about that. So think of this as, I mean, I talked about, you should have an agreement with everything that's important. Your business should be an agreement. Well, your course is important. So the course agreement is basically setting out the agreement between you and course participants. So there's a couple of things you're going to lay out what they're going to get and you're going to be as specific as possible like bonuses, you, you can't be specific, right? I mean, bonuses, you're going to have to say, you know, you'll get the bonuses you're entitled to at the time of sale. And, you know, for the most part, I know some people, if there's a dispute and it's on the line, a lot of people just say, fine, you can have the bonus. They're not going to fight you about it, but you, you should have an agreement that says, here's what you're going to get. It also needs to lay out what they're going to pay. And especially if you have a payment plan that they are authorizing you to go ahead and charge their card for the following times. Mm-hmm. It needs to have your refund policy. So whatever your policy is, if it's a no refunds, just say no refunds. If it's a 30 day, 
uh, no money, you know, no questions asked like I had mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that, or, you know, if you have the, do the work and show me the work, you can do that as well, but yep. you need to set out what the policy is. And if you have a show your work kind of refund policy, it should be specific. You're going to have to show me these things. Mm-hmm. What you want is it to be, there is no question. Are they entitled to it or not? As a slight aside, in some cases, you may decide that it's not worth the headache and you may issue a refund even if they're not entitled to it. I was talking to someone in one of my free communities earlier today, and she's got someone who's like literally just like putting spam negative reviews because, you know, she wasn't entitled to a refund and, and she's pissed off about it. And I said, yeah. well, and she asked me what to do. I said, well, you can fight her legally, but is it really worth it? It might just be worth paying. Again, if it's 200 bucks, 300 bucks, just give her a refund. But that's kind of an aside. You have to have that. Most people, if you show them they're not entitled to it, they're going to agree with it. But also, if you get a chargeback, if you get a dispute with a credit card, having that policy is going to help you to fight to, totally. to defend yourself. So you need that. Other things you're going to put in there, like if there are limits on how people can use the information, you want to put that stuff in there. And I was thinking about something that's now (laughs) gone from my mind. It was something we talked about before, but I'll think about it again. But the idea is just setting out kind of all of the different important, what are the agreements that you have with your course participants? Ah, that's what it was you want to have something in there that says that anything they post and if you have a Facebook group or anything they submit to you, you can use for marketing Mm. for anything like that. That way you don't have to go back and get permission later because I don't know about you, but to me, one of the most powerful like testimonials is literally just a screenshot of of something good. Someone has said in a Facebook group. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I want to just have something in my, my, agreement that says, Hey, anything you post in the Facebook group, I can use. And it, it, it's worded a little bit fancier than that, but basically you're getting permission in advance. So am I right in, as you're talking about this, what I'm thinking about is the checkbox, the terms and conditions on your order form. Yep. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. But there's a difference between your website terms of use and your terms and conditions for your course. So course agreement and terms and conditions of a course, same thing. They're one and the same. So talk a little bit more about that because we use that on our order form. We have a terms and conditions for the course. Yeah. You have to check the box. Like if you try to check out and it, it, if you haven't checked the box, it, you Says can't no. check, check out. Yep. But I've also heard, even though I still do that, I've also heard that that's not enough. Um, okay, so... <laughs> this is one of those legal gray areas. I can tell. Yeah, so look, some judges don't like it, right? From a legal perspective, in my view, it should be enough because it is an affirmative act of consent. Mm -hmm. And so it's very clear, like an electronic signature, and it doesn't have to be a signature, an X, if someone says that this is my electronic signature, like through a sign now or DocuSign, clearly that's valid. Some judges don't like these check boxes because they said nobody reads the stuff. My answer to that is, well, I don't read contracts anyway. (laughs) I mean, literally, I'm a lawyer and I go places and they give me like, you know, uh, like a rental car contract. Sure. Right. I've never read one of those things, yeah. but I've signed it. Yeah. So I'm bound by it. Yeah. My view, it's the same. And if you think about it with software, we all do that, right? I mean, so Microsoft and Apple have decided that us clicking a box and agreeing to their terms is good enough in their view mm-hmm. to show consent. My view is, look, Apple and Microsoft have lawyers who've really looked at this very, very closely. And if they think it's enough for their software agreements, which are much more in the weeds, much more like, you know, you have to have a law degree to understand this stuff. Yeah. I believe that it should be good enough for us. And again, 
if nothing else, you're going to be able to show them, Hey, you agreed to this. And most people will go away. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and I've gotten, you know, this has come up for us over the past, you know, in the past years where they're like, well, I never read that, you know, like, yeah, I checked the box, but I had to. And like, well, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, well then read the stuff. Like, like it's there for a reason. Like there's a reason that we don't let you check out until you have checked that box that you have read the terms and conditions. And I forget what it says. Like, I think it says like, I have read the terms and conditions about this program or something like that. Yeah. I mean, my, mine, I just have it say, I agree to the terms and conditions. And then there's a link to where they something can like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And mine, again, I, I use Kartra. I think you use Kajabi, but I use Kartra. Same deal. They have to click it. They have to click that. And then I think hit a button before the button even shows up for them to be able to try to start a payment. So, yeah. you know, that's how I do it. And to me, that's, you know, that's good enough what I would say is like, if you're doing a high ticket thing, like if you're doing a mastermind, mm -hmm. I would go a step further than that. I would do a, you know, send them an actual agreement and get them to do a DocuSign or a, a, a I use sign now, which is just one of these electronic signing companies. I would do that for a high ticket, okay. but for a course, I wouldn't worry about that. When you, so if, say for a mastermind, yep. we have an agreement for my accelerator mastermind. Yep. It's more so though, for like your participation in it, okay. you know, it makes you, you know, like I make people initial, they've read it, you know, it's like, it's more about like, look, you're gonna take this seriously, yeah. right? This can be, this can be transformational, but this is what, you know, this is not like you're going to just float for the next six months. Like this is, we're taking this seriously. Yeah. What other things are you talking about, including some of those other things like you just mentioned in that sort of agreement too? Yeah. So again, in a mastermind agreement, to me, it would be like a course agreement, like lay out, what are they going to get? Right. So, and it depends on, so, you know, I've been in some programs that are, they call them mastermind, but I really think they're more like a group coaching program because it really is, they're going to deliver training every week or every other week, which is yeah. not really a mastermind, but to the extent you can lay out what they're going to get. And then also that, you know, what they're going to pay, especially if it's a payment plan and that there are no refunds, et cetera. I know someone is dealing with this right now in my mastermind. She's got some, somebody in her mastermind who like wants to stop making payments. And she's like, no, we have a contract. You, you agreed to this. Right. So you should have that. But again, I think in a mastermind, you're going to want to put other stuff in there. Like you're talking about not floating, but also it's more to protect each other. Like, you know, you probably, you can make people feel better if you have something in there that makes very clear that whatever happens in the mastermind stays in the mastermind. Yeah. So that makes people feel better that, Hey, I can talk freely and my other mastermind people aren't going to go share this information. Sure. But those, I think because it, of the nature of a mastermind, hopefully it's not going to be a problem, but let's also be honest. If there's someone in your mastermind who's causing trouble, you may decide you'd rather just let them go anyway, yeah, yeah. you know, because it's not going to be worth the bad energy they're going to bring to the group. Right. But you want to protect yourself, make sure that they can't stop making payments and things like that. We've talked about a lot of things here, this, and this can be like, an, this can be very overwhelming for people, especially when they're early in the business is like, and, and the way that I look at this is like, if it's, if I'm overwhelmed by it, it's going to paralyze me. And like, I'm, I'm going to be afraid to do anything like what would you say to that person who's thinking like like oh my god i got like i don't know what to do because i'm afraid to do anything i don't want to be you know getting legal problems legal trouble and this is where i say don't let it stop you now again i would rather you do it right from the beginning but i also i'm a realist and this is one of the things like i don't play the scare card 
I just don't do that in my marketing. I tell people you got to do this, but I'm also very honest, like with GDPR, I say, look, there's no GDPR police coming after you or me. Mm-hmm. GDPR police are worried about Facebook and Google realistically. Now we should do it right. We should follow the law. Just like, you know, chances are that, you know, no cop is going to catch me going 80 or 90 in a 45 most of the time. I still shouldn't do it. Right. I mean, right. you know, so I, I stress that. But again, and I just want to say, just think of it in a couple of pieces. And that's why I kind of break it down, like written agreements. If nothing else, just write down the central agreement between you and clients and, and put it in plain English if that's how you have to start. Mm-hmm. Um there are templates you can get that, that make it simple, make it easy, but I don't want people to not act because of legal stuff because 90% of the time it's not going to come back. Now, again, one thing I am going to caution you about, because I've seen this happen so many times, do not enter a partnership without dealing with it the right way and getting a written agreement the right way. I've seen so many people deal with kind of the fallout from that because they jumped into a partnership. They don't have any agreement or like I have some friend, a friend right now going through something where she's in a partnership where it's 50, 50, one part person wants to get out, but there's nothing in there about what happens. So Mm. there's just kind of a, okay, what do we do now? Yeah. And you can just imagine it's not a good situation. So, I mean, partnerships and and anything like that tend to be fraught with problems. And so in that situation, I'm just going to tell you, it is worth, it is worth actually hiring a lawyer in that, in that case, talking to someone, really getting good advice, make sure you cover yourself. Yeah. Because it's a place that's a place where literally I kind of set that as a side and that's different from a lot of the stuff I talk about. I'm a big proponent of do it yourself, find templates, start with what you can do. You know, the best solution is obviously to hire someone to actually work directly with you, but I get where expensive. I mean, I'm a technically my rates 500 bucks an hour, but I'm probably going to increase it because I really don't want anyone to hire me these days. I want to do the online stuff. And so, you know, it gets expensive. Lawyers are going to charge you a few thousand bucks to do just about anything. So I get that. With that type of thing, though, with a partnership, it's worth the investment up front. It's going to save you down the road. Yeah. And again, I'm sure you know people, Rick, that this has happened mm-hmm. to where they had, mm-hmm. they thought they were in a partnership and one person, yep. you know, kind of, you know, kicked the other person out or, you know, I, I, my own origin story is kind of like that. I started my law firm. I didn't intend to. I started my law firm when my daughter was three months old because I had jumped into kind of a quasi partnership. There were these two lawyers who were partners. I joined their firm four years earlier, had been treated fairly the whole time, but wasn't technically a partner and didn't have a written agreement or anything. So again, it's, it's funny that I'm, you know, big proponent of this, but so then when my wife got pregnant and I'm guessing you can kind of relate to this since you're, you know, a new dad, mm-hmm. I was like, Hey, you know, right now I've got all the downside risk because I didn't get paid when the firm wasn't making money and I didn't have any of the guaranteed upside. And so I said, hey, we need to figure this out. And we couldn't. And so literally I remember the night, it was a Sunday night. We had a conference call between three of us. It was snowing. Uh, At the end of that call, I knew my time was done. So my wife, my three-month-old, my brother-in-law and I literally left my house, took all the stuff I had, And I mean, I wasn't fired or anything, but I just knew I couldn't stay there. So I took all the stuff that belonged to the firm back and brought all my stuff home. And the sad part of that is one of those guys flew through Hurricane Sandy to get to my wedding. I haven't talked to him in five years. Mm. That's what this kind of thing does. Um, So I just say, just do it. I mean, it's, it's worth the time from a financial perspective, but also the emotional 
avoid yeah. heartache type of situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think we'd be, we would be remiss in not talking at least a little bit about GDPR. Okay. <laughs> Here we are, you know, I think a year later, right? Yeah, Wasn't we're, it, I mean, it's it, the 26th, I think. So I it's going to say like, yeah, like May 25th or something like that. Yeah, like, something almost, like that. Almost yeah. to the date, year later. People freaked out about it. Yep. The, there hasn't been a whole lot of talk about it since. Nope. What do we need to know about it at this point? <laughs> you know, you know, I mean, I think it's the same thing that, that, you know, we needed to know about it back then. And in a lot of ways, I mean, I, I tried to be a voice of reason of saying, Hey, look, it's not, the, the world is not falling. We just need to do things right. You know, I know you're good at like cleaning and scrubbing your list all the time anyway, but I know a lot of, you know, we have a lot of mutual friends who lost a lot of people during the GDPR scrub. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's right. And that's not a problem, but you're right. I mean, there, this is what I said. There is no GDPR police. The problem is someone in the EU. So again, the rule is basically if you're in the EU or the subscribers in the EU, the GDPR applies mm-hmm. for you and me. If it, Rick, you get on my email address, I don't have to get any consent from you because we're both in America and America. Right. We are wild, wild west. Yeah. Like can spam. I don't need your permission to email you. I just have to let you unsubscribe. That's yeah. basically the rule here in the U S. Yeah. So most people, and I don't know the solution you've used, but the solution I use is built into Kartra, my system. Like, because I'm in the U S I can turn on a button and it will get consent from anybody in the EU. Or if they don't, it flags it. And so I don't send any emails to them other than I can send them things directly related to the product they bought if there's an issue. But other, and I don't have that issue because most of my people obviously are in the US. Yeah. But other than that, it's the same old, same old, I think. People freaked out because there's a, a California, well, I don't remember if it was passed or if it was going to pass that people were calling the GDPR of America. And what I like to tell people is, it was GDPR kind of, but not how GDPR applies to you and me. It was like about Google and Facebook and how they're using data. Mm-hmm. So as of right now, there's nothing changing on the horizon. We've got to get consent if people are in the EU. And that means they have to say, yes, I want to get your marketing emails, not just your freebie. So just set up a way to do that and you're fine. Yeah. I think we, <laughs> my team would know better than me, but we have, we use a service. I forget that works with Infusionsoft okay. that it tags them or triggers something uh, triggers a follow-up okay. that we like, they have to confirm via that we yeah. don't use the checkbox. We probably should cause it's a lot easier, but yeah, we, we found this service and I, I literally think it was like, it's a guy, like a one guy, he sits on his back porch and he has this service <laughs> and it's like 47 bucks a month, but it's been really good. It's been really helpful for us. And we do, we do keep a very scrubbed list, you know, and for that reason, my list is smaller, but yep. the quality is a lot better. But yeah, I think I'm pretty sure that's what our, our solution has been. Yeah. And I don't know if you're the one who found it, but I know that like Infusionsoft, like it was a big nightmare for people who were on Infusionsoft because there was no data built into the system about where someone. Yeah. They they were not prepared. Right. When they set up. And again, I want to be very clear. There were very few software solutions that were prepared and it drove me nuts because the law had been on the books three or four years at the time it went into effect. Candidly, I left one of the big, I will not mention names, but one of the big all in one service providers Mm -hmm. and that decision wasn't about GDPR, but it was confirmed. I had like, my legacy list of like 800 people and they like, I could see in the data that they had the IP address, but they wouldn't let me download it. 
So literally the only way I could like try to figure out where these people were would have been to like hire a VA or someone else to like go through line by line, add, you know, that, and then do a search. I was like, I'm I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to deal with it. But in FusionSoft, there was someone I thought who had some solution that they thought could, could get information. It was like, I don't know if it was a one guy shop, but something like that. But, um, you know, all the software solutions are different. People ask me, well, what should I do? I said, well, you got to tell me what software you're with and then I can maybe give you some pointers. Yeah. And just to recap real quick. So what Bobby, what we're talking about here with GDPR, if you have not if you're not up on GDPR or didn't, didn't listen to my episode last year about it, basically what Bobby was just saying is like, if you were in the EU or I believe it was in the UK as well, yeah. um, if your subscriber is there and they're opting in for something, let's just say they're opting in for a download or registering for a webinar, what have you, and you want to continue to send them marketing emails, they have to consent to that. Yep. And if they don't, and we continue to send them emails, you know, they can you know, whatever, raise a fuss or whatever. And I mean, we've gotten requests for that. I think we've gotten like maybe like two requests in the past year of just saying, Hey, you know, like I want to be off your list, you know, or, yeah. or whatever. Like, all right, cool. And I think there's something you have to like document how you do it. And we just, we like screen recorded what we did and send off to them. And like, we never yeah. heard from them. Cool. Yeah. And, and I haven't, so, and again, this is where like your software solution will matter. Like Kartra has a built-in thing now where when someone unsubscribes, they can click a button. I want to be forgotten. And then Kartra literally does that. I can't even see that anything's there. I've actually had this problem. And I think it applies not just to people in the EU because I've had this problem where people then like try to buy something through a WooCommerce connection I've got. And so I've got a zap that goes and it says, Oh, there's a lead here. But then I try to pull it up and it, I can't see it. And so, but yeah, you've got to have some way to do that. I haven't had anyone write to say, Hey, show me all my data. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, people can do all that stuff. Again, it was a lot of people were freaked out and candidly, I didn't like it because a lot of lawyers and, other people were trying to use it to exploit it. We're trying to scare people and say, Oh, come. it wasn't even like buy a template from me. It was like, buy this pact that'll, you know, show you information about it. I was like, come on, yeah. let's just give them the information and, and let them figure it out. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not been a huge problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think we kind of thought that, yep. I, I think what happened was from the, from the, you know, the online business perspective that there was a few people who started talking about it. And then it was like this, like this <laughs> tidal wave of fear <laughs> that just kept going and building and building. And we all got caught up in it. And yeah. it's like, Oh, we better talk about this. Well, and it was so funny. I forgot if it was lead pages or Kajabi, which are both good companies. Right. Mm-hmm. But one of them, and I know it was one of those two because after I was on Amy's podcast and one of the key things about GDPR is you can't say you can only have my freebie if you consent. Right. That's one of the rules. I can't say you can only have it if you're going to consent to get my marketing emails. And so I was telling people, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. And like one of them in Amy's group, like says to me, but, and again, I don't remember if it was lead page or Kajabi's had an info sheet, like sent out an email that said, this is how you do it. You, you make them agree to it. And I said, that's just wrong. I said, I've read the, the law. I've read this, the regulation is just wrong. And then whichever company it was at like 5 PM the day before it went into effect, came out and said, well, we were wrong. We've talked to our lawyers again. You can't do that. Yeah. Um, and so it was like, it was, like I said, it was this crazy thing where, you know, people just weren't thinking about it until you're right. Somebody started banging the drum and all of a sudden people got freaked out about it. Some of the software solutions, like I said, were not rolling out solutions in a timely manner. Others 
just we're, we're trying to figure it out and we're yeah. stumbling we're telling people hey we're trying to figure this out but you know it wasn't a catastrophe by any means yeah yeah and it certainly has been has it not been over the past no. year no so as we wrap up here is there anything we haven't covered yet you know from like a sort of like a base level you know things that we as online entrepreneurs generally don't think about you know we've talked about a lot of a lot of i'm taking a bunch of taking a bunch of notes here is there anything we haven't really chatted about but yet we really we should be so the only other thing i want to talk about is it's it's a concept known as the right to publicity and i kind of hinted at this this is what would generally mean I couldn't screenshot a testimonial from someone without their permission. Everybody has the right to control how their name, image, and likeness is used commercially. So for advertising, for marketing, et cetera. This is the concept of law that that allows the Kardashians to make a ton of money as endorsements, right? You have to pay them to endorse or otherwise you can't use their name, et cetera. But it applies to all of us. Like, you know, I'm not a celebrity, but you can't use Bobby Clink without my permission, technically. Mm-hmm. So this is why, like, theoretically, when you get a testimonial, you should get permission from people to use it. And, you know, Rick, you should, you know, when we're done and maybe stop, you should ask me for permission while you're recording to use this recording, you know, oh. uh, because that's another place. Again, no one's going to complain about it, right? I'm never going to complain about you publishing the podcast. Right. But we should get in the practice of just getting permission from people on testimonials on, you know, any guests you have on your platform, just get used to asking for that permission, especially if you might want to repurpose it. Like, again, I think the idea for this, you know, you having me on here came up when I sent you a note saying, Hey, I want to, you know, I want to refer to, you know, this show in a, in a lead magnet. You got a problem yeah. with that, you know? And you said, no. And, and again, the answer is always going to be, no, of course, please, <laughs> please yeah. promote me, but just get in the, in the habit of doing that because otherwise someone later could, could raise a stink about it. Um, yeah. So it comes in, in mainly in testimonials and guest experts or guests on your platform, just get a written permission. And this is one where the problem is like, it's all state law. It's not one standard federal law and every state is different. So what you have to do, you know, what you're allowed to do will differ, but if you just get written permission, you're always okay. So just get written permission every time. Each time. So like, let's just say, let's just say I have a live event and I have, you know, there's some people doing testimonials on video. Yep. So just get them to agree again. You could just record something at the beginning or so like what I do when I'm collecting testimonials, I start with a survey monkey um, Mm -hmm. survey. And at the beginning, I just have this thing that says, I'm going to use this, you know, here's the purpose of it. I'm going to use it commercially. I'm going to use it to promote my brand, et cetera. And then at the bottom, I say, you agree that I can use, you know, and me being a lawyer, I've got it more legal easy, but you don't have to just say, you know, that, that they are giving you permission to use this commercially to market and advertise your brand and a checkbox again. And again, anybody doing a testimonial is of course going to say yes. Right. Cause they, they want to give you permission. Sure. And so, yeah, you should just get in the habit of doing that uh, when you're getting testimonials. Okay. Well, I was just gonna say again, if, if you're collecting them electronically, you can just do it seamlessly where it's a checkbox in, yeah. in the process and it's not an issue. Okay. I'm so glad you bring that up because I do that all the time at our live events for, you know, for um, if somebody like sends a testimonial or, or whatever, which, you know, thankfully it happens quite a bit. Like, yeah, like we are, we are not always, let me, let me, let me rephrase that with the video testimonials. I'm not, I've not been good at that, you know, yeah. because I feel you're, you know, like, well, they're volunteering it. And so I'm assuming they don't have, they don't have a problem with it, but you're right to protect myself. But for the other stuff that they're sending in, 
like we are very careful about, you know, like getting their permission. Yeah. And like I said, this is an area where I bring it up and I just want to be very clear here. Yeah. This is the area where you are least likely to have anyone complain. It's just not going to be an issue. It can be an issue like in other places. Like if you're going to have guest experts, like if you want to potentially repurpose it, right? So I know people who, for example, like I could imagine someone doing a freebie that says, Hey, the 10 best pieces of advice I've ever gotten by someone on my podcast. Mm -hmm. And there might be a question, well, did someone, when they came on your podcast, were they agreeing that you could do that with it? Mm -hmm. Again, me personally, if you want to highlight me as one of the 10 best pieces of advice, I got no problem with it. Yeah. But you can see like, you know, it'll tend to come up when the person is actually, is like higher profile than you. Mm -hmm. because then they would be concerned about that. But again, like, you know, I get testimonials from people who are are big names and I specifically ask them, do you have any limits on how you want me to use this? You know, and some people say, look, I'd rather you don't use it on Facebook ads because I do a lot of Facebook advertising and I don't, and I'm like, fine, you know, Hey, Mm -hmm. you're going to give me the testimonial. I'm going to abide by your request. And that's about protecting a relationship more than anything else to me, but yeah, just be use common sense. and You'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm wondering why I should even open this can of worms here. I'm not (laughs) going to mention any specifics. I'm not going to mention any specifics, but that happened to me years ago. Okay. Early in my business where I was, somebody asked me to take that example down from webinar slide. Yep. And this is, I had done free work for them Mm. for a long time and was not positioning it as an endorsement in any way, but they reached out and was like, Hey, you know, and people would know this person. person. And yeah. so I was like, no problem. Yeah. But, and I just, you know, I was just like, <laughs> like, you know, I was agitated at first, but at the same time, I was like, I get it. You know, yeah. like, and I, and I explained how it was being used as well. And so that to kind of, put them at ease a little bit. And, you know, it was more of a case of, well, I was given a heads up about this. So it was misconstrued in some way. Yeah. If you could just take it down, like, oh, cool. No problem. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, so, right. yeah. and again, quite honestly, like you probably were agitated, but also like, I'm going to guess it's almost like you're like, well, is there egg on my face? Did I do something wrong? And you want to preserve the relationship because again, at the end of the day, I think, you know, you've been around long enough to know this is a relationship you know, business. I mean, it's not just that, but having those are important. And um, so again, my thing, I'm going to honor requests like that, no matter what. And even if someone signed a release to use their testimony and later said, I don't want you to use it anymore. I'm going to take it out. I mean, I don't want to do that if somebody doesn't want me to use it. So yeah common sense prevails. Totally. Yeah. I'm so glad you bring that up. Bobby, this has been great. I've, I've taken, taken like a page of notes here for myself, <laughs> selfishly, really, really good stuff. I know that you have templates that can help people out. You know that like you, like kind of like you would alluded to earlier, as far as pre-made stuff to make it super simple, like privacy policies and all that stuff, where can people connect and connect with you? Well, so my privacy policy, this is one of my, the big shifts I've made in the last month. I now give that away for free. I give okay. the privacy policy template because it's the one 
policy that is legally required. Yeah. And so I say people should have it. Um, so if you need that, that's a great way to get into my world. Go to youronlinegenius.com forward slash free privacy policy, and that'll get you the opt-in for that. If you don't like my emails, you can say, you don't want my emails. And you know, it, doesn't offend me, but most people tend to like them. But also I have a free training academy that it used to be part of my paid membership, but I made all the training free. So I go through like copyright law. I'd go through trademark law, the right to publicity, trade secrets, all of that. If you're interested in that, you can get that for free also at youronlinegenius.com forward slash academy. Otherwise just go to youronlinegenius.com. You can see all the stuff I got pretty soon. It's going to be redirecting. Hopefully I'm going to be rebranding to a true personal brand. Just go with bobbyclink.com but it's not there yet, but it will redirect there when, when I'm ready, when it's open. Okay. Yeah. So your online genius.com is the site. Yep. yep. And then for the free privacy policy template, it's forward slash free privacy policy. Yep. And then for the training Academy, your online genius.com forward slash Academy. Yeah. I'm I am not at all creative with my pretty links. <laughs> it basically tells you exactly what you're getting. That's, that's good. <laughs> no, like don't get creative with your, with your pretty links. You want to make sure that people yeah. like know what this is. Yeah, yeah, and you got a yeah. podcast too. Yeah, I do. It's it's the Online Genius Podcast, and it's uh, there's some stuff in there that's legal. I mean, I have some episodes that are just about legal, and actually, strangely, one of my most popular downloaded episodes ever is about like picking the right corporate entity, I think, or, or setting up a corporate entity. I don't know what, but it's really more about the online business stuff. I talk about my journey. I have people, a lot of our mutual friends on talking about their journeys and try to help people kind of navigate the building of a business aspect of it. So, awesome. you know, I enjoy it and I think a lot of people do. So uh, you can find that as well online, your online genius.com forward slash podcast or anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Okay. So I'll link everything up guys on, uh, on the show notes for today's episode so that you can go check out Bobby's stuff. Really, really good stuff. As you can see here, super knowledgeable, knows the space and he's doing this what we're all doing here, building online businesses. So he's, he's in it not only from an expertise standpoint, but also from he's building the business right yeah. along with us. So Bobby, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it, my man. It's been my pleasure. Thanks a lot, Rick. Hey, so as I mentioned at the top of the show, if you're an online expert, AKA you're an online educator, you're a coach, you're a course creator, you are doing webinars, maybe you've got a membership program, et cetera, and you want to be growing your email list by reaching more of your target audience and in the process, sell more of your programs or services, and you're not getting the results that you want from Facebook and Instagram ads, you're overwhelmed and you're frustrated that you're wasting so much time and money, then I want to invite you to my free webinar training, which is called How to Create a Winning Facebook and Instagram Ads Campaign Without Wasting Time, Without Getting Overwhelmed or Breaking the Bank. And you can sign up for that free training. Pick a time that works best for you at rickmulready.com forward slash training. Again, it's rickmulready.com forward slash training. All right, my friends, thank you so much for coming to hang out and listen to today's podcast. Really appreciate it. Coming up on the show, I've got another quick tip episode coming your way. So until then, and as always, keep testing your online marketing to find out what works for you and your business and do more of what's working, right? Just do more of it. I'll see you in the next episode. Don't worry, there's more of RFP traffic coming soon. If you can't wait for more incredible digital marketing strategies, head over to rickmulready.com. We'll see you next time.
avoid the seven biggest mistakes that burn through course creators' ad money, I see these over and over and over again, and I put them together in a mini email series. This is not fluff. Each of the seven mistakes, I also have a recorded video tutorial showing you inside of Facebook Ad Manager how to fix those mistakes. This is good, solid, and it will save you money or help you make more money with your Facebook ads. Click down in the show notes below. You'll see the link and you can go download it right now for free.